Welcome to this session. I am Dr. Roslyn and it is my pleasure to have Ms. Alexis, a social worker from Feiyue, uh, with us to share on uh, elder abuse. Hi Alexis, um, could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, Dr. Roslyn. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, my name is Alexis. Uh, I'm a social worker in the community, working with elderly 60 years old and above. Currently, we're actually doing a, a project called the Community Casework Management. Basically, our main job is to help elderly to address like uh, medical, behavioral, even functional and psychological needs. I think the end goal of our uh, work is to improve the quality of life. If it's not able to, then just to maintain the function in the community. So all these does increase, uh, all these does involve like assessing risk such as elder abuse and also suicide risk. Mm. So um, could you um, describe to us um, the current situation regarding elder abuse in Singapore? Um, based on the current statistic that we've seen in the Adult Protection Service, it's about uh, 127 cases being reported for elder abuse uh, in um, 2020, uh, one of the highest over the past five years believe that it is uh, highest in the com um, believe that the figure uh, can be higher it's higher but it's just that it's not reported in the community because um, community workers like us when we go in right and if the case is not extremely high level we would actually um, um, de-escalate on our own without reporting to APS so we, we, we think that the number is supposed to be higher than the, the reported ones yeah. So uh, why, why do you think that uh, the number is underreported? Is it because our elderly are not able to um, seek help or is it because of knowledge deficits of our public that are unable to identify that an abuse is going on? Right. Um, certainly these are part of the reasons, uh, not knowing the community service and also not knowing how to seek help is one of them. I think other part as well is that they may not be even aware that they are in an abusive situation uh, because um, abuse in itself can be prolonged and sometimes it can be seen as a norm to family members or even to client. Or sometimes it can be a power struggle, right? Uh, there is a power control issue, but um, uh, the elderly person needs to depend on the family members for survival or even uh, for dependent needs, basic needs. So it may not be uh, reported or even when it is reported to us, um, we will we as community workers will have to assess whether it is a high risk case to be reported under the APS, Adult Protection Service. If it is not, then we will um, de-escalate on our own that means the moderate and the low risk case. So these cases will not be reported to APS per se. Because when we say that we report to APS, we're asking for an immediate solution or even to intervene right away. That includes like removing the elder person out of the house and also to a safe place. Yeah. So in that situation, uh, usually it will be a high-risk case uh, that community workers would report. 
Yeah. So you were saying that the reported cases are usually from um, institutions uh, like uh, the centers and the hospitals rather than the victims themselves. And um, you you were you were sharing about uh, should you actually um, discover an, an abuse has uh, taken place um, um, for the elderly, you would actually remove the client um, from the situation they are in. Um, how is the process like? Mm. So, um, so when we visit the elderly at home, because we are doing home-based community, we would actually firstly assess the situation first. Uh, assessing the situation whether it is, uh, I mean, building rapport first and also assessing the situation whether it's a sexual, financial, physical, verbal or self-neglect or even neglect in itself. So then uh, the process of um, uh, understanding the situation and then um, building rapport uh, in a non-judgmental way or even the need to even separate both the victim and the perpetuator um, to even understand the situation. Uh, this whole process, um, roughly about uh, two or three hours, especially when um, the perpetrator or abuser, uh, the abuser or the uh, victim uh, is emotionally drained by the whole situation and uh, uh, express their incapability to, to handle the situation. Or sometimes it can be difficult for them to articulate the whole thing. Under what kind of circumstances would you actually involve um, the police to step in? Um, so if we assess that uh, the situation is there is eminent health, uh, there is eminent risk involved, that means there is no family support, no other protective figure per se, and also there is no um, the, the victim, uh, the abuser himself, he or herself is unable to control their, uh, their temper physically or even emotionally, uh, then um, even having a contract with them, verbal contract with them doesn't help and there is no, and um, it's obvious uh, uh, abuse, then we will have to really escalate into a police case. Right, right. And you mentioned about this verbal contract. Um, is actually a counseling session with the caregiver. Um, it is actually a um, we call the so-called the safety plan. Uh, so-called safety plan to to discuss with them. Uh, what exactly can be done? Uh, whenever uh the abuser gets triggered. So what should a abuser do? What should the victim do? during this whole process. But we also need to assess whether uh, the victim in itself and the abuser in itself has the capability to really execute the whole plan. For example, um, um, I have a client who is mobile, who is able to protect herself. So when the situation arises, uh, when the, the husband hits the wife, uh, the wife would know that it is not the time to uh, aggravate the husband and the wife might pack some clothing and maybe to exit from the house to the nearby park to just uh, cool down and not uh, allow anything happen uh, in the house. So this is just one of them that uh, we think that they can do. Otherwise, like for example, a bedridden client, this is something that we are more concerned because uh, they are unable to escape or protect themselves. Yeah. 
So um, do we actually um, provide the transportation to remove the um, vulnerable group, like you mentioned, the bedridden, out from the house? Um, if we have to evacuate them ASAP, then we will have to uh, assist from the beginning to the end. That means uh, should there be a need, uh, we might need to call uh, 995 uh, for, for admission first. If there is no uh, immediate vacancy to the nursing home assigned by MSF uh, APS. Right, right. So um, what are our elderly current perception of being abused? Um, do you think that um, they still find it uh, a form of like a social stigma, like loss of face, if I were to report? Or do you think actually they are slowly coming to um, be more aware and likely to share about the trouble that they're going through? Mm. Thanks for this question. I think the elderly that I've come in contact with, not just the elderly in itself, the family members, um, they have a, they're quite confused with this concept of abuse. Uh, it can be stemmed from the idea that uh, they want to have an ideal family. So uh, sometimes when we go in and we realize that something is very wrong, um, they would still be living in denial because it is easier to cope this way than to be threatened and uh, then to, to, not to be threatened, then to do something about it. So the idea of learned helplessness uh, does exist in some of my clients' uh, cases uh, because of the long-term uh, prolonged abuse that's going on, the threat that uh, comes in uh, can be very um, uh, discouraging. So some of the elderly that I know, um, they actually uh, thought they can do something about it by keeping quiet and they thought that things would get better. But along the way as uh, uh, life progressed and uh, they realized that things doesn't get better, they also slip into this learned helplessness state. So it can be very challenging for them to even acknowledge, uh, partly because they might have an ideal view or they may not even know that this is an abuse. So recently, I get to interact with a family uh, and I spoke to the son as well, the children. And the children said that uh, it has been like that, Alexis. Uh, what else more? And uh, so when we brought up that uh, it is severe enough for us to contact APS, uh, they then realized that uh, the norm is, what is the normal practice is not a, a common thing it is wrong yeah so from here i could also tell that it is very hard for family members to also uh, recognize that this is an abuse given the long standing of uh, abusive behavior mm. so you mentioned that the family members don't even know that it is an abusive behavior how should we actually approach this situation then um it seems like there are a couple of layers here, right? Um, for abusers themselves, um, if they are under huge amount of stress, uh, before they escalate into such a behavior, they should already seek help. But uh, usually, uh, it can be challenging for them to even recognize that this is wrong because uh, it has been a behavioral, it has been a habit for them to, to use a common uh, uh, coping mechanism to cope with their stresses. So they may or may not even know what's going on. 
and this is likewise for the victim in itself. Yeah. So what are the common behavior that will usually um, be expressed through them to allow our, for example, healthcare providers to um, identify them? Um, so if you are talking about a hospital setting, um, then uh, like what you mentioned before, um, I resonate with your nurse as well, uh, that uh, unless and unless um, the uh, client uh, has visible marks, marks and uh, abrasion or even uh, bristles, then uh, this question will be probed further. But then again, um, it also depends whether the elderly is able to articulate on their own. Yeah. The challenging part about um, uh, um, other abuse besides the physical abuse, uh, we talk about uh, neglect, we talk about sexual abuse, financial abuse, verbal abuse, it is a little bit challenging to assess and it does need time, partly because um, it is not visible and partly because uh, the symptom itself is, is not, uh, not something that we can then, then find out. For example, if we talk about verbal abuse, we are talking about uh, the psychosomatic symptoms that uh, a patient uh, exhibits. But yeah, on the other hand, uh, usually uh, practitioners are more careful because uh, we do not want to uh, uh, be quick to make judgment over the situation and it takes time to assess whether it is really a verbal abuse. Yeah, and in the whole process, uh, the victim itself might also need to take on the responsibility in owning up the issues so that we can escalate further if it is really uh, a moderate and low risk case, you see. Mm -hmm. And if let's say we have um, really detected that um, there are signs of abuse as what you have shared um, on the elderly, um, but the elderly refused to admit and denies that abuse has taken place and in fact said that no, he or she is being treated very well at home. Um, how can we actually escalate this and who can we actually discuss with? Okay. Um, number one is, of course, uh, we have an agency that we can rely on. It's really helpful that uh, in any doubts, always seek supervisor's uh, advice and opinion about this whole situation. All right. Um, if we assessed that to be a high risk case, right, for instance, uh, then um, I think uh, the next move is also to consult authority like an adult protection service to come into the picture. And that's where they would assess uh, whether um, they can tap on their resources to escalate this issue, right? Um, if it is not on a moderate and high risk, moderate and low risk case, we can always, uh, what we need to do is certainly we need to inform our agency for one, for two is we need to also um, talk to the family members. We need to talk to the family members and let them know that, hey, this is us, we are here. Or we need to understand, um, firstly, what's the issue, their struggles that you mentioned about. And, um, um, but whichever we, um, whatever the conversations goes, right, however the conversation goes, understanding the situation and also attending to uh, the caregiver stress, uh, we also need to let them know that the behavior that they're exhibiting is wrong. And let's say um, the issue has been escalated and it has been uh, affirmed that the abuse has um, taken place. 
Um, is there somehow a way to take actions to prevent such such abuse issues from taking place again? Right. Um, so usually uh, from the cases that I come across, um, it is when the abuse situation has taken place, um, the cases that I know of, uh, it's the relationship is already strained. It's already strained and uh, it's to a stage where they don't really want to take care of the victim in itself. The abuser do not really want to take care of the victim. And uh, it is also uh, whether um, uh, they want to reconcile uh, even after um, safe plan is taken place and alternate uh, uh, placement or accommodation is given to the victim. Um, but uh, from the cases that I've come across, usually they have come to an end where uh, it's either they just don't want to see uh, the family members or rather, uh, yeah, they just hope that they are they move out of the house. So that sort of like um, emphasize the importance of early detections of uh, stressor being faced by both elderly and the caregivers. And that gives not only just the healthcare providers, but also the public the responsibility to look out for one another and support the situation that, that they're in. Yeah, you're right. Actually, whenever there is a, you know, um, argument in the family, uh, even neighbours in itself, they tend to um, be silent over this whole issue. It is as if this is their issue, it's a private family issue, rather than uh, saying and looking at this situation where um, the uh, vulnerable adults, even the children in the family or the elderly in the family uh, will be affected badly. So neighbours that I've come across um, in, in the cases that I, I know, they are rather absent or silent over such issues. So they actually know what's happening? Some might know. Some might know uh, when the uh, verbal abuse can be severe and uh, even through you even during the COVID situation uh, last year, when the number has escalated up to about 127 reported cases, I think um, the non-reported cases uh, from our from my experience, it's just that um, realize that people are more uh, silenced towards this issue. Is it because of the mindset of mind your own business and probably they are scared of um, assessing or giving people the wrong accusation? Yep, I do agree with you. Um, I tried to interview or even uh, ask uh, some of them. Um, that That's the common response that they have. But more than that, they are also afraid that when they uh, call uh, for help, uh, their, their identity might be even reviewed. Maybe just move back even one step uh, forward. Um, why are our public, I mean, the general public, so scared of approaching them and also worried about getting authorities in. I mean, the end outcome is actually that everyone is safe. That's the main intention. How can we actually um, improve that situation? Um, I like the fact that you mentioned uh, my your own business. I think there is a rationale behind it, right? Uh, why people want to my your own business is that they don't want to get themselves into more trouble. So, so what happened is uh, when an abuser 
uh, act out. Uh, I think uh, what uh, many people may not understand is that uh, uh, abuser usually uh, would act out towards their own family members instead of the members of public, right? Uh, but, uh, but what we don't understand is that uh, um, if we ever report, I mean, the members of public does report, um, they are afraid that maybe that abuser would also lash it on themselves as well or even bring harm to themselves. So minding your own business might seem a safer choice compared to reporting uh, and thinking further in protecting the elderly themselves. I guess it still boils down to developing a caring society. Right, right. So what happened is like, um, I mean, a lot of people are worried that uh, if this is an abuse case, right, uh, a constant quarrel, but then yeah, on the other hand, uh, uh, whether it is an uh, verbal abuse or even a day-to-day a, a, a -day affair, um, there's always hotline to call for inquiry, uh, hotline under MSF uh, uh, Adult Protection Service, or even uh, child protection service, family violence, not just for elderly in itself, right? Uh, to just call and inquire more. I think uh, that's where professional advice uh, will be helpful. Yeah, yeah. So can this number be um, utilized by the healthcare providers in hospital as well? Or do they actually have to go through their own social worker um, department? Okay, um, this hotline, National anti-violence helpline 1-800-777-0000 is available in the public in the uh, website so uh, anyone can just call uh, to consult uh, if uh, there is a new inquiry but on the other hand if um, if one detect that it is uh, really uh, um, severe I think uh, you can also always get uh, the medical social worker to come in and lend a, lend a helping hand yeah and just now you were also sharing about people scared that they will get harmed by themselves if they do report an abuser or even intervene in the in, in the in the situation. Why do you think that is so? Is it is it a reflection of our society that it is getting more stressful or probably people are just not knowing each other better within the same community? I mean, as I continue to do home visits uh, for the past six years, uh, I recognize that uh, uh, it seems like a trend that uh, Singaporean is getting lesser and lesser in interacting with their neighbors. I think um, the understanding of uh, relationship with neighbors is, uh, is a bit distant compared to the past. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why uh, people are not close generally. And that, that in itself contributes to communications and also understanding, uh, better understanding or even creating a caring society in the community. Yeah. So that actually, um, again, uh, emphasize the importance of us knowing our neighbors, establishing relationship with them and giving them the support as members of the public. Right. giving our neighbors the assurance that we are not trying to probe into people's business, but rather to provide them with emotional and mental support should they actually need it. And that comes in uh, not just by 
when things happened, but on a daily basis, right, uh, a casual conversation and acknowledging each other uh, and just by a smile to each other could actually make a big difference to show one another that uh, the care and the support is there. And then we are not there to probe into your uh, business, but rather we wanted to genuinely help you right, to provide the care. And that somehow would reduce the impact of the fear uh, of being attacked or being abused by the abuser should they actually approach to help them. Right, right. But ideally, right, I think Dr. Rosalind, I would like to be your neighbor for sure. Uh, because I think uh, a lot of people, not everyone had that kind of mentality that they want to keep up, keep a look out for one another. Uh, everyone has a different perception of how they want uh, to interact with their neighbors. And uh, I can't be a representative of the uh, population, but then the amount of uh, uh, elderly I come across, they struggle. Like for instance, they say that, oh, I'm illiterate. I would like someone to help me to look at the letters. But my neighbors are constantly, of course, they are working. They're not available, but they are not in um, uh, friendly term with them. So it's very hard for them, for the elderly to reach out for help. And uh, everyone has really a different idea of how um, they want to uh, to have uh, their neighbors uh, interact with them and also the level of in, um, care they want and support from the community is a bit different from people to people. Yeah. So it's like the culture and the generation outlook in uh, seeing their neighbors and how they actually behave is different uh, from people to people. And that makes it even more complicated when it comes to establishing um, friendship and relationship. Mm. Yeah. And even if uh, people are close to each other, that's another different thing, right? I mean, everyone has different perception. Uh, for instance, like for example, if I'm na your neighbor, so Dr. Rosalind, I'm so close to you and I happen to realize that, you happen to realize that I'm abusive. And then should I report or should I not report? Should I break the relationship and should I not break the relationship? It depends on how individual copes with this whole thing and be objective over the issue. Sometimes we can be very subjective and felt like our, uh, you know, building a relationship or ensuring and maintaining the friendship is important than the abuse in itself. So, um, yeah, so you were saying that um, um, establishing a relationship with our neighbor uh, is good in providing support, but yet again, it's a, it's just a danger when we are unable to draw the line between um, balancing relationship versus reporting and abuse, right? So again, that is something that uh, humans needs to take a step back to review the situation objectively again. The nature of uh, abuse can be very challenging to assess, uh, but yet on the other hand, uh, it's also important that we uh, observe the signs and symptoms. For example, when we talk about uh, neglect. Neglect is severe in itself, but sometimes uh, uh, it's a difference between suboptimal care and neglect. That means a caregiver can be providing some part of the basic needs, but unable to provide most of them. Um, that's where uh, maybe engaging a medical social worker to follow up with uh, to follow up with the family members uh, on the, this issue to look into the basic care needs um, or even to look for community services to support and complement the family members would also help uh, to elevate the stresses and along the way I believe that um, the social worker would be able to detect whether it's really a, a serious 
uh, self-neglect case or it's only a just suboptimal care. It is also likewise for verbal abuse as well. Like um, uh, we often see the doctor saying that client is having psychosomatic issues. So then how then do we uh, engage further uh, by the medical social worker to assess the situation and uh, fur uh, further address this issue along the way. I think this is important because um, since uh, the assessment can be tricky and it's long term, then uh, what else can be done? Yeah, so I think uh, the role of a nurse might be challenging to follow through, uh, but what about other uh, professions uh, to, to follow through if um, their service provider is available to do that? or even the, the other professions is able to do that. So you have highlighted the importance of communication and collaboration, not just depending on one profession to approach this situation. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It does require a team. So uh, interprofessional collaboration plays a huge role in ensuring that the abuse situation is not just being uh, detected, but also managed tactfully with the end outcome of not just protecting the, the victim of being abused, but also to ensure that uh, the caregiver probably also needs some help themselves would receive appropriate treatments. Thank you, Alexis, for the insights. So elder abuse indeed is a social concern that we need to be aware of. Although there are cases that were committed with malicious intent, but many were actually carried out unintentionally and unknowingly. It is therefore important that both caregiver and elderly were given uh, the education and support with appropriate resources to manage their situation within their capacity to reduce the tension within the environment. So healthcare professionals should always be alert to detect signs of distress from the caregiver and the elderly and support them tactfully and respectfully to prevent another case of elder abuse. So thank you everyone for listening to this podcast. I am Dr. Roslyn and hope you find this session informative.